invite you to take a Bible, if you will, and uh, turn once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961 in these Bibles in the pews. I started 1 Corinthians uh, preaching from it over a year ago. <laughs> can't believe I thought, I've got to finish this in 2017, so if you're looking for uh, a, a story of the shepherds this morning and so forth, no, it ain't going to happen. We're, uh, we're going to press on in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we come now to the, uh, the verses 12 and following of 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Hear God's word beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us go to before the Lord together one more time in prayer. Our Father, we ask now for the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit. We pray we would not be hearers of your word only, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Seventy years ago this year, Hollywood director Frank Capra's movie was released, It's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra said that the idea for the movie came from a Christmas card he received from a friend. And he also said the film was his attempt to combat the trend toward atheism. Movies listed on the American Film Institute's 100 Most Inspiring Movies of All Time. Every year I see people and they'll say, you know, I saw a movie the other day that was made a long time ago at Christmas. And it's a wonderful life. Or others, I read of where one person said they'd watched it 40 times. Somebody's got too much time on their hand, I don't know. But the movie's main character is George Bailey. He has aspirations to go to college, to see the world, then to settle into a lucrative career as an architect. But circumstances pretty much beyond his control prevent this, and he never gets his chance to fulfill his life's ambitions of exploring the world, of building skyscrapers. And so he watches his, some of his family and friends become great success stories. And as they do, he stays behind in Bedford Falls, running his father's small building and loan business, rivaling the grumpy old Mr. Potter. And if you've seen the, if you know the story, financial discrepancy puts George in a very difficult position and he expresses that he wishes he'd never been born. So an angel named Clarence comes to show him what if? What if he had never been born? What would life be like for him and others? In 1 Corinthians 15, we have one of the most, this paragraph is one of the most unusual passages in the Bible 
not because of its content as much as how the Apostle Paul expresses it. What I mean is when we get to the scriptures, of course, we have all types of genre literature. We have poetry, we have prophecy, we have proverb, we have parable, we have historical narrative. We have teaching sections, which are called didactic sections. That typically is what the Apostle Paul writes, is just straight-out teaching. But here he begins to, to say, let's just look at the implications if something didn't happen, i.e., if Jesus was not raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, uh, not only of Jesus as the first, but anyone, what are the implications of that? And he puts it like Frank Capra did with what if? What if Jesus' bones could be found a day in a, in a grave or in the sands of Palestine or somewhere in the wilderness? What if they could be produced and there was certainty from markings and in the tomb that, yes, this is the, these are the remains after this many years of, of Jesus. What would that imply? This is a common notion today that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in your belief. Well, that was not really the case with the early Christians. Something happened. Something happened to turn these disciples who had fled for their lives, most of them, to where they gave their lives as martyrs for this. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first verses of 1 Corinthians 15. These are the facts of the resurrection. Without going back through all of that, Paul basically says, here's, here's, here's the facts. This is the brief of the resurrection. In verse 3, Christ died. He was really dead. He was physically dead. The soldiers knew it. The spear in his side showed it. People standing there, no one thought he was still alive. He was dead. Verse 4 says he was buried. He was taken down from the cross. According to the Jewish customs of the day, he was wrapped in burial clothes and spices were put, mixed in with a clothing, probably 100 pounds of spices. And his body was put in a donated tomb. Massive stone was rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb, not to keep him in, not that anyone suspected anyone was coming out of the tomb, but to keep thieves out. The Roman seal was put on the tomb. That's the second fact. Christ died, he was buried. Verse 4 says he was raised on the third day. He just simply states it. There had already circulated, uh, the enemies of Jesus had circulated that the disciples came and stole the body. He says, no, it wasn't stolen or the women went to the wrong tomb on that first Easter morning and they found it open and they mistakenly thought he's risen. The tomb is empty. The next fact is verses 5 and 6 of the resurrection that this was testified to by his appearances. Over a period of 40 days, he numerous appearances of Jesus, first to Peter, then to the other disciples, and then more than 500 people at once. There were 11 appearances that we know of. These are the basic facts of the resurrection. They aren't complicated. They are not uh, difficult to understand. But now he says, so what? What difference does it make? And he, in showing this, he does what any good parent does as they teach their children. Parents, if you have small children, as they become a little bit older and teenagers, every issue is difficult because every issue is emotional. And they will say, can I do this? And the temptation is just to say yes or no. But the wise parent will say, 
let's think through the implications of what will happen if you do that. And without sounding too condescending, help them think through, say, okay, how will this affect you next week if you spend the night with your friend tonight and you've got a responsibility at 9 o'clock in the morning, how are you going to do with that? And then tomorrow afternoon, and so rather than just a yes or no, help them think through. The Apostle Paul here is helping us think through, what if the resurrection? Let's take the position that some in Corinth were taking, that Jesus had not been raised from the dead, not bodily at least, maybe spiritually or maybe they were saying the effect of his life is still felt by us today. Uh, There were a number of different teachings. And he says, let's just assume the body is still in the grave. What if? First off, in verse 14, our preaching is useless or our preaching is in vain. Now, this is very important. This is, don't, don't think about a preacher like me standing here in a pulpit in a, in a nice building with no fear of interruption or persecution. Think about preaching in Paul's day. Paul had risked his life to preach the good news about Christ in a variety of places in the Roman Empire. And he says that all of that would have been useless, vain, if Jesus was still in the grave. What does it cost preachers like me in America to preach? Well, there's effort, more than most realize that have never done it. There is work, there is study, there is spiritual warfare, there's emotional taxation. I do not leave our house on Sunday mornings wondering, thought didn't cross my mind, whether I will be arrested today or taken away to prison, like many preachers in China or Vietnam or a variety of other places where they don't know what will happen in that church service. It is safe here. It was not so with the Apostle Paul. I I opened up a Bible this week and started going through the book of Acts just to look at the situations when Paul began to preach. Uh, His first account we have in Acts is in chapter 5 of Acts. And it said when they had called in the... This is before Saul became Paul... Uh, Peter and the others, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Then we have the sermon of Stephen, one of the first deacons, in Acts chapter 7. He's stoned to death. Then in Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted He begins preaching in Damascus. In verse 23, he says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. I can't imagine at the end of this service, some of you coming up and saying, Hey, Chip, there's a gang out here. They're going to kill you if you walk out that door. Come on, let's sneak out the back. Then in Acts chapter 4, well, later in Acts chapter 9, he goes to Jerusalem. He speaks, and they're seeking to kill him. In Acts chapter 14, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. They left him for dead. They thought he was a corpse. And then he revives. Acts chapter 19, and this is just a partial survey, a riot breaks out in Ephesus, one of the most exciting chapters, you might say, adventurous chapters in in the book of Acts. 
and only cooler heads prevailing kept Paul and his cohorts from being torn to pieces. So when the Apostle Paul says our preaching is in vain, think of it in those categories. We have risked our lives. James has been killed. Others will die. And all of it has been for nothing if the body of Jesus is still in the grave. Now the authority in, the, in preaching is the Word of God. Take that away and it's merely a speech. It may be a motivational speech. It can be persuasive. It can even be what we might call inspirational. It makes someone feel good. But if Christ is still dead, then preaching is of no eternal value. That's the first what if. Then he moves on in the latter part of verse 14. It says, what if the body's still in the grave? Then your faith is useless. Not only is the preaching about Jesus useless, your faith is useless. Empty. Your faith has no grounds. John Piper wrote, I believe that deep in the heart of every person is a longing for someone that you can count on through th thick and thin. Someone who is absolutely trustworthy. Someone who, if you put your faith in him, it won't be in vain. He will not let you down. He will always be there. We want it because we were made for it. God put man and woman in the Garden of Eden to glorify God by trusting him for everything they needed. That need has never changed. And so this longing is satisfied in Christ, the resurrected Christ, that I can trust him, that I can believe in him. Third deduction, if Jesus is still in the grave, then we, the apostles, the original people sent the office of apostle. We're liars. We are false witnesses. Not just about ordinary things, but about the things of God. Uh, this is to show you how things have changed so much in journalism. I remember it, it, back then it was a big story. I don't think it would be a story at all today, but Brian Williams is still a well-known journalist at NBC News. He currently serves as an anchor on on the, the program at night uh, on MSNBC, the 11th hour with Brian Williams. But back just two and a half years ago, in February of 2015, he was suspended for six months, and he was eventually demoted from NBC Nightly News for, quote, misrepresenting events which occurred while he was covering the Iraq War in 2003. He did not defame anyone. What he did, he did not give away any kind of secret information. He did not... What, what he said was the helicopter he was in was fired upon. And other soldiers later said, no, he embellished the story. That was it. Today, I don't even know that that would be noticed. Um, fake news. Paul is saying, if Jesus is still in the grave, we, we the apostles, we the, the preachers, other, we are liars. We are messengers of that which did not happen. And in the Old Testament, for a prophet to bear false witness would result in death. The punishment of that, a person who claimed to speak for God. Then in verse 17, I'll move on. Your faith is futile if Jesus is in the grave. You're still in your sins. There is no redemption. There's no peace with God. There's no abundant life. There's no salvation. If he's in the grave, our debt is still not paid. We are still liable. 
We are still liable for our sins against God, the wages of which are death. Verse 18, if Jesus is in the grave, then those who have died in Christ are lost. The first death of someone I knew and loved that I remember very vividly was the death of my grandfather when I was in the fifth grade. My father, my mother's father, I did not know very well at all. And by the time I remember him, he was, he was very sick. Both of my grandfathers had worked in pipe shops where there was a lot of lead, lead pipe, and that they didn't live long lives. And, but I remember in the fifth grade, I remember when my grandfather that I was close to, my father's father, when he died. And I remember going to their house where he and my grandmother lived, and, and uh, we were dressed up in coat and ties, church clothes at that time. And, and, and I said, I can't go to the funeral. I, I cannot go. I, I cannot. The very thought of seeing a dead body was, and seeing my grandfather dead, I, I, I could not. I said, I can't go. I, I can't do that. So I, I stayed at the house by myself while the funeral took place. And I remember hearing then and later, three years later when both my grandmothers died, I remember hearing how I would see them again. And so it made me think about heaven and is there life after this life. Do you live with that hope that your loved ones in Christ you will be reunited with? Well, what Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, forget it. It's a false hope. Because they are lost. And promises that Jesus made, like I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Nah, don't, don't trust that. Put no trust then in Jesus' promise where he said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. No, nah, don't count on that. Why? Because if there's no resurrection, those dead in Christ are lost. And then in verse 19, and he says this, if there's no resurrection, we believers are most of all people to be pitied because we have deceived ourselves. Deception, I won't ask you to raise your hand if anyone's ever deceived you. They tricked you. They presented something to you or a a scenario and you believed it and, and maybe you lost money through that. Or maybe someone stole from you and you fell right into the scheme. That's bad. But the worst kind of deception is self-deception. When we deceive ourselves, no one else is involved. And we've made terrible choices. And he says, if there is no resurrection, then we, believers, those who claim to be Christ followers are to be pitied. People should feel sorry for us because we've deceived ourselves. So a Christianity without a risen Christ is worse than none. I conclude with this. You say, Chip, it's not whatever time, 10 o'clock. I know, but I've got to leave time for the officer installation at 11 o'clock. So count your blessings. Christian, your faith is built on a firm foundation. You can stake your eternity on it. Jesus does have power over death and the grave. 
He lives today. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. In bodily form, a glorified body, and he intercedes for us. He prays for us. It matters that Jesus is raised from the dead because to live is Christ and to die is gain. It matters when you stand in a funeral home and you see that person you love in the casket and you see what death is delivered and one day know that Christ will raise that person, bodily raise that person. Now, if you're not sure whether you believe all this or not, Jesus not only is alive, he's here. And you say, explain that. I can't. Just trust him. And you need to put your trust in him. We all trust in something. It may be in ourselves. It may be in our sincerity. It may be in our morality. But we need to stand on something firm, and that's in Christ himself. Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge today that you are resurrected Christ. We thank you that you are alive, that you are interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father, that you are by defeating death through your resurrection you have given us what will happen with us that we will have glorified bodies one day uh, that we will be without sin that there will be no more pain there will be no more tears uh, no more suffering no more crying no more separation we pray in the meantime that you would help us to invest our lives even as our brother and sister uh, as the Matt Singers are in your service use us where we are Uh, Help us to live with urgency. Help us to number our days, as the psalmist says, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look in your order of service, you've got the words to the doxology.